Turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. Last week, we looked at the first part of this chapter, verses 1 through 17, under three headings. Paul says, Be therefore followers of God. One commentator suggested that phrase means be an imitator of God. And Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, even went so far as to say, we need to, since we're saved, we need to imagine that we are God. Not in authority, not in power, not in conceit, but in deep humility, recognizing that God wants us to be like He is. He is light. In Him there's no darkness at all. So as we go around and we reckon that we are to be examples of God, we're to be followers of God, we're to be imitators of God, we're to be little gods in a dark world. It has to do with how we live, how we communicate with each other, the words we say, how we dress, everything about us is to be like God. Keep in mind that God, when, when you think of God, what do you think of Him looking like? What do you think of Him being like? Well, we can't go back and talk about that again tonight. We've talked about it last week, but we'll come back and touch on that another time. Then it says, He don't be deceived, beginning in verse 6, let a man deceive you. Beginning in verse 14, awake to righteousness. Then there's a break after verse 17 and begins almost another section of instruction. He says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's a strange analogy. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, a person who is drunk with wine sometimes gets outside of his own personality. He says and does things that are not normal for him. We need to remember that. A lot of people think, well, I can't live a godly life because I'm not godly. When the Holy Spirit works a work in our hearts, he converts us from worldliness to godliness. And so he says, be not drunk with wine, word it says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he suggests at least nine things that are the outgrowths of that conversion. Number one, in verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, the words of our mouths. In Psalm 19:14, let the word of my mouth the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Robert Hastings wrote this little word concerning words. He said, some deeds can be undone, others can't. Once done, they are in concrete and they can never be changed. Here are examples of actions that can be corrected. You can unlock a door, unroof a house, unsettle a horse, 
unfreeze a pipe, unload a truck, unravel a mystery. Also, you can unseat a politician, unsnap a skirt, untangle a thread, unveil a bride, unzip a jacket, unwrap a package, or uncover a secret. On the other hand, it's impossible to unscramble an egg, unbreak a glass, unsay a word, unthink a thought, untell a lie, or unbirth a baby. Nor can you unmelt a snowflake, unfire a gun, unkick a football, unsend a telegram, unbake a cake, untrim a beard, unsaw a board, unjell a salad, unshed a tear, or unspend a vacation. The words we cannot be unsaid, you think of that. The words we say cannot be unsaid. They can't be recalled. No wonder James 3, 5 warns, behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. True, we can apologize for something we say. We can attempt to clarify what we intended to say. But what's said is said. That's why the Christian diligently guards the words of his mouth. For like the egg that cannot be unscrambled and put back in the shell, neither can words be unsaid and put back in our mouths. That's some thought, isn't it? And so he says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Second thing is singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. A spirit-filled Christian will sing to the Lord. There'll be songs of joy, songs of inspiration, songs of praise, songs of instruction coming from our hearts. Why do I feel discouraged? Why should the trouble come? His eyes on the sparrow, I know he cares for me. One of Ms. Vonnie Scott's favorite song was His Eyes on the Sparrow, and I know he cares for me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Well, this song, this scripture says, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, not only you speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns, but there'll be a spiritual song singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Then thirdly, giving thanks for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great sins of a believer is ingratitude. We fail to thank God. We fail to express that thanksgiving. That's the reason we need to be reminded every time we sit down to a meal, whether it's at home, whether it's at McDonald's, whether it's in the car, wherever we are, we stop to say, thank you, Lord, because he's the one that gave it to us. Amen. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. <laughs> it's hard to give thanks for tough things, isn't it? 
Ever given thanks for death? I was at Vonnie Scott a number of times the last few days. She confided, I'm not afraid of death. I know what's beyond. I hate to leave Robin and John. I hate not to get back to Sunday school. He said, one of the greatest grievances in my life has not been able to go to church last year. But she said, I'm not afraid of death. And when it comes, you need our family to thank God. So this afternoon, we stood together, Robin and John and I, and our niece said, thank you, Lord, for the struggle that's ended in victory. Good night here, good morning over there. Giving thanks for all things. Then humility, look in verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of, the, of God. The one who is filled with the Holy Spirit will be a humble person. No proud, no conceit, no braggadociousness. I'm humble and proud of my humility. What a tragedy for anybody to feel like that. Humility comes from the Lord when we realize who God is and who we are. Then verse 22, wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands unto the Lord. It's a very interesting verse. Before that, he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. No one is so bold and so filled with authority that he fails to remember we're to be in submission one to another. Everybody has a boss. Isn't that something? The sooner we learn that, in childhood, the better we are. That's the reason it's so important for children to be in subjection to their, their, their dad and mother. Because you got a boss. When you get a job, you got a boss. When you marry, you have a boss. The husband is the head of the home, but he also submits himself to the authority of his wife. Look at this. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands unto the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wife be in her own husband and everything. And husband, love your wife. Isn't it interesting it doesn't say wife, love your husband? You know why it doesn't say that? Because when the husband loves his wife the way God intended, he'll awaken in her all the love she has for him. And in that sense, he's submitting her, himself to her as to a special person. Husband, love your wife. He knows Christ loved the church, gave himself for it. He might sanctify and cleanse with the washing of water by the word. He might present it to himself, a glorious church, 
not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For he members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that you reverence her husband. Now we come to number seven. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. A spirit-filled young man or young woman will love his mother and dad and will obey them. That's hard to do. You know, as you grow toward teenage years and you grow toward maturity, pretty soon you begin to think, well, you're mature enough to run your own life. Well, God planned and long, as long as you're under your dad and mother's roof, you're under their authority. You're to be under the authority of mother and dad until you're no longer under their roof. But even then, all the rest of your life, you have an affinity to your mother and dad that's different from anybody else. So much so, the Bible says if you don't take care of your own family, you're worse than an infidel. So later in life, though you're not under your mother and daddy's roof any longer, you're still under the authority of their love. And that love continues and continues and continues until one day God releases that by taking them on home. And then you're under the authority of their memory. You never forget. You live, that memory lives on and on in your life to remind you how precious they have been and were to your life. Then look in verse four, we number eight. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A spirit-filled father will provoke not his children to wrath. That doesn't mean he doesn't, they never get mad at him. I won't ask for hands, but have you ever been mad at your dad or mother? You got upset with them. You know why? Because there's something inside that says, I'm old enough to take care of myself. I don't need your advice. Don't need your counsel. I'll take care of myself. The problem is when you come to realization of who you are, you recognize that you're not that old. You still need their direction. You still need their leadership. I would dare say that there are people in this room who are 40, 50, 60 years old, whose parents have already gone, who would say, I still wish I had the advice and counsel of my mother or dad. Okay, now look at verse nine, verse five. This is the ninth thing. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as under Christ, not with thy service as man pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With God, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. 
Now here you're talking about employees and employers. We don't really have servants today, and we, we have a servant heart. Thank God for servant hearts. Thank God when God calls a man to preach, he becomes God's servant. When a church calls a man to be a deacon, he has a servant heart toward the church. He's the church's servant and God's servant. When God allows you to get a job, keep in mind that you are a servant of that employer. And he says here very clearly, not with eye service, look at the clock all the time, see how much longer you have to work. It's 10 to 8, I get off at 8 o'clock, praise the Lord, I'll be just 10 more minutes. Instead of that, if you're supposed to work till 8 o'clock, work till 5 after. Supposed to go to work at 8 o'clock, get there at 5 till. It's the one to give a little bit extra that the employer will find it difficult to get along without. If you're constantly watching the clock, you hardly wait to get off, your employer will know it. And so he says, servant, be obedient to them that are your masters. Not with our service as man pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God. If you work at McDonald's, keep in mind you're serving the Lord at McDonald's. If you work at uh, some factory, you're serving the Lord in that factory. If you're working in some office, you're serving the Lord while you're working there. Verse seven, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same thing unto them. This is the tenth thing. You who are employers do the same thing. Forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So he has something to say to wives, to husbands, to children, to fathers, to servants, to employers. Do the will of God. Be exactly what God wants you to be. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And God will guide and bless. And oh, the joy, when you get to the end of the way, you've done the very best you could and people will want you to continue. We're living in times when it's tough to get a job. I'm not sure how many people we have in our church that are with out a job, but one way to be sure your employer wants you to continue, get there a little bit early, still a bit late. Before you leave, go to your employer and say, is there anything I can do for you? I dare you. God will do something in your life. You'll be blessed. Everybody around you will be blessed. You'll be an example of those you work with, and God will guide you all through life. Let's bow together in prayer. These are very simple words. It's impossible for 
a normal, natural person to do these things. But he says, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your words will matter, your attitude will matter, your song will matter, your obedience will matter, your relationship to your parents, your relationship to your employee, your relationship to your employer. All this will matter. And God will give you the grace to be what you need to be. But it all begins at Calvary. It all begins by knowing Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone here tonight. Thank you for the word of God that is so clear. And, and, and Lord, it, it covers so many areas of our lives. Help us to put it into practice. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit, leaving here tonight with a song in our soul, an attitude of servanthood, knowing that we're God's servants. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Let's sing our closing hymn, Since I Started for the Kingdom. We sing that often, one of the great hymns of all times, and it's true, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. If God has spoken to your heart about any matter, do what God says. Maybe you need to come and deal with the pray, just a private time with God at the front, or something you can settle right where you stand. But listen, if you're not saved, if you're not positive your name is written in heaven, don't leave without knowing Jesus as your personal savior. Ask yourself this question, listen carefully. Listen carefully to this. Are you sure you're saved? Are you sure your name is written in heaven? It would really help if you'd look eyeball to eyeball here. When you look around somewhere else and you're not watching, it's because there's some problem in your heart. When you give your heart to Jesus, he gives you a new joy and a new act of service to him. Answer this question in your own heart, first of all. If I died tonight, do I know for sure I'd go to heaven? If you know that, thank you. And let's sing this great song, The Longer I Serve Him, The Sweeter He Grows.